Hey y'all, this is Trina and this is our hot topic. So it is September, it is back to school time. Kids have been in school about a month or so and the schools are not schooling y'all. You know what I mean? Like they are not doing what they need to do. They're not giving what they're supposed to have gave. Terrence has been in school and public school for a month. Um, he transitioned from um, his school that worked with him. That was a smaller school, private school that worked with students who had different learning needs. And he's in public school, y'all. And when I say... In one month, we have dealt with a school lockdown because there was a threat of a gun. We have dealt with uh, a racial slur from a, from a, a kid at school. Um, and we've also dealt with, you know, just a mismanagement of his learning needs, right? Like the teachers aren't being responsive. And so I've been on my double, triple duty as like mom educators showing up at schools, going to school meetings, emailing teachers, right? I do a lot of work to make sure that he can thrive in these public school systems. And it makes me question, could I be doing the work of having an alternative school option for him, i.e. homeschooling, dun, dun, dun. And so why would I consider that? Well, I just named some of the issues. And we also know that a lot of black parents have been transitioning, actually, to doing more homeschooling. Um, data shows that in 2020, homeschooling amongst black families went from 3% in the spring to 16%. That is a 500% increase. That is a five-time jump. And so black parents are starting to put their kids, take their kids out of these public school systems. And we witnessed a lot of things during the pandemic when they were at school, but at home. And so a lot of black parents are taking their kids out. And it makes a lot of sense. We want our kids to have more diverse curriculum. Um, according to an ABC News article about this, about black parents increasing and turning to homeschooling during the pandemic and keeping it up after they said that, you know, more black parents want more diverse curriculum um, that addresses the special needs of their children. And think of some of the stuff that's being taught as, as you know, practices of, of you know, whiteness or white supremacy. Um, and oftentimes, like historically, people think homeschooling, oh, that's for white people. That's some white people stuff. But actually, it's not. You know, there's a whole group of black folks who are transitioning and doing this. And, and there's been there's black folks who've been doing this right prior to, you know, Brown versus Board of Education. We was teaching our own selves, teaching our own babies. And so it's a reclamation. I think it's time to reclaim. And y'all, I'm on the fence. Y'all, I'm really not that sure if I can do it, you know what I'm saying? But I think that there are tools and resources out there. And I think it's important because of our experiences that our children are experiencing on campus, experiences of shame and guilt and being pushed out. Like, and this is starting early, like data and statistics. We've talked about this before that, you know, the preschool to prison pipeline, young black kids are being targeted. They're being punished for things like behavior when really it's just a misunderstanding. Um, they're seen as older. They're being adultified. And so things that they're being pushed out for, for like not having a pencil. Oh, you're being defiant. I said, have your pencil out. Right. So things around defiance for black boys, they've been targeted. And, you know, there's all this data about like most teachers are white women. And when white women are afraid of blackness and black men and see little black boys as older. Right. Because of the adultification of black children. Um, we see experiences of black girls being pushed out to at high rates because they're too loud, too big, too bold, right? They got too much of an attitude. There's all this narrative that our babies are too much and simultaneously not enough in these spaces. And so 
the question that I've been wrestling with personally and that I know many parents are wrestling with is like, what are the alternatives, right? We don't want to continue to put our kids in these institutions and systems that don't see them as human and won't love on them and nurture them in the ways that they deserve and won't teach them the truth of the history of their history for them to be proud of who they are. So we have to find alternatives. And so today I'm talking with a homeschool expert who's done it for her whole time. She got four kids and none of them went to public school. So we're going to hear from her about the alternatives. And, you know, I'm still, y'all, I'm on the fence, but I'm going to listen with an open heart. So check out this episode. Tell me what y'all think. Are y'all going to send y'all kids to school or y'all going to keep them at home? Let's do this together because it takes a village. Raising Black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a Black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. Hey, y'all, this is Trina. On this episode, we speak with Nichelle Nelson, who is the founder of Warp and Weff History, which offers virtual history and government classes for homeschooled teens. Nichelle is a veteran homeschool mom with 25 years of experience. She and her husband have successfully homeschooled three of their children from birth to Baylor University and beyond. Nichelle holds lots of degrees and credentials in history um, and multicultural studies and social justice from a variety of universities. So thank you for coming on the show. Nice to meet you, Nichelle. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I am too. You know, like it's been a month since kids have been back in school. Um, For those of us who send our kids to school or homeschool, it's been... Yeah, it's been a month since school started back around. So so this is one of our back to school episodes. And um, we are really um, curious about the number of black folks who have transitioned their kids into homeschooling and you being an expert um, would love to hear from you. What does homeschooling really mean and why should it be an option and that many parents should consider? So homeschooling was for our family and, and to a certain extent, I, I guess it still is. Uh, it is the opportunity to forge our own path. It is more than just an educational choice. It's a, it's a culture, it's a lifestyle. And it was a, a definitely a process learning, both my husband and I were public schooled, learning that we don't have to follow that path, that there is a, another uh, path. Uh, for us, the two most important reasons for homeschooling Uh, Well, I'll say three, particularly when we started. One was definitely about our faith. Um, We were uh, very devout Christians in the the very beginning. Not saying that we're not now, but our knowledge of biblical studies has definitely expanded in that time. Uh, But at the time, uh, that definitely had something to do with it. We also wanted our children to not be held back by the, by the system. I had been a part of, uh, and I think my husband too, uh, gifted and talented programs in the public school system where it was filtered, where only certain people got in and you were either in or you were out. We didn't want our children to have to go through that. We wanted them to, if they excelled in math, 
then they needed to excel in math and maybe spend a little bit more time on something that wasn't math. The other thing was about family dynamics. Mm-hmm. We very much wanted a, a very close, we wanted our children to be close to one another. Um, we wanted a, a unified family and we didn't mm. see that happening, particularly by the time we had our fourth child, we would have had one in, I think, middle school, one in elementary school, one in preschool, and maybe another in daycare. If if I were working outside of the home, that that was not part of our vision for our family. All of the separation. We mm-hmm. we we are, and as a result, we are still very much a very close knit family. I love it. Yeah. So you shared a couple of reasons why it was really important. So you named forging your own path. I feel like you had all these F's. Um, I was like forging path, faith, freedom, family, (laughs) flexibility. I'm writing writing that down because I may need to use that later. (laughs) Okay. Make sure you cite me. All right. It's your own words. But yeah, I'm just reflecting back what you named. And as you were describing it, it felt like what a lot of folks when we're talking about what it means to parent for liberation, that piece around liberation, right? What does it look like? How do we practice liberation now. And those are some of the components, right? Having the ability to forge our own path. um, It really reminds me of that Kwanzaa principle around self-determination to define for ourselves by ourselves, you know, to define our own destinies. Like, what do we want? And so I think you providing a reflection of homeschooling in that way, because I'll tell you, you know, I'm gonna be honest, homeschooling sounds like a lot of labor and work on my part. So it don't feel like more freedom. It feels like more assignments for me as the parent. So I want to get into like, what does that really look like? So, so based on your background, you know, though you and your partner went to public school, your children have never, ever gone to public school, like all four of them. None of them, never been to public school. So what inspired, you told us why you did it, um, like what were the core components, but like, you know, most people who do it, I'm assuming they like transition. So it's like, well, what are the benefits and how do you identify the benefits, you know, from something that you never transitioned from the other thing? But I guess, you know, from your own experience being in public school. So how, what do you see as some of the benefits of homeschooling immediately? And you name some of those, like, you know, spending time with your family, being together, that freedom and flexibility, but I'm curious about what are some of the other benefits like from an academic or educational perspective. Um, and then also just because, you know, I just named it seems like it would be really hard for me. Um, could you be honest about what are some of the challenges as well as the benefits? Uh, I will. I'll be honest. It, it was a lot of work, but it was a work of passion. You know, when you're doing something that you're passionate about, it doesn't feel as difficult as something that you're doing as drudgery. And uh, we were very, very passionate about seeing our children succeed in life and, uh, and, and educationally, particularly since we were, I guess you could probably consider us pioneers as far as black homeschooling goes. We didn't know a whole, although the very first family we met uh, were, was a black homeschool family. And we did um, later on meet more we were very few and far between. And I feel like we were, there were more of us simply because we were homeschooling in a military environment. Mm. So I think statistically there were more black homeschool families. Uh, So we kind of had this, there was a drive in us to make sure that no one would have anything negative to say about that, this great experiment. And that's really kind of what it was. It was a walk of faith. Uh, it was it was a science experiment uh, that that the outcome would be good. 
And so uh, I worked really hard trying to find out where my children's strengths were, trying to find out where their weaknesses were. I worked really hard trying to make sure that they lacked nothing. If they lacked ability, it was it was maybe the curriculum that I was using. Maybe we need to switch up and use a different curriculum. But it was never going to be on them. Mm-hmm. Their inability to do something was the fault was going to be on the instructional method, not the child. And I think that that's where uh, my husband and I differed, uh, or, or differed from our children. Our upbringing was if there was something that we were not doing well in school, you know, comments were made, you, you up there, that school clown, you need to, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't send you to that school to socialize. It was always put on us, mm-hmm. on the child, mm-hmm. not on the instructional method, not on um, social dynamics with the teacher. It was always put on us as children. And for my husband and I, we said that would never be with our children. Anything that they didn't understand, we were going to take the time as long as it took for for them to understand it. And so that was probably one, definitely one dynamic of our homeschooling was that we didn't keep up with, uh, well, they're eight, so they have to be in third grade math and third grade English and third grade science, whatever level they were at, at whatever age. That's what they were at. So sometimes it would be difficult when people would ask them what grade they were in. Well, it depends on what subject you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, uh, but that for us, that was important that our children could grow at their own pace. I love that. I think that's how all kids should learn. Absolutely. Dang, do I got to be in my house though? <laughs> that is the question. This is what I'm trying to assess. Um, what did you notice of some of the challenges? Because, you know, I will say that is really beautiful. And I think that's the way all young people should learn. I think that's the way anyone who's in the process of learning should learn. They should come into it to learn at their own pace, leaning into their strengths. And when they have challenges to, like, understand what the challenges are and know that the cha- challenges are not inherently about them lacking something. It's about the content and how it's being taught or the instructional method or this is not the way that they process information. Maybe they're not verbal. Maybe they're auditory, maybe they're kinesthetic learners, you know, like the format or the method needs to change. And I think, you know, public school is the challenge is that everybody gets the same kind of cookie cutter model and that doesn't necessarily work for all people's learning styles. So I do think that that is like such a beautiful reframe. And in particular, the blame, I feel like there's a lot of blame on children when they don't learn a thing that's being taught in a particular way. Right. And so you gave the examples, you out there clowning, Oh, it's the one that I, you you know how to sing all those songs, but you can't read no book, all that stuff. Right, that yes, And it's like, yes. well, then maybe music is the way that they learn the best. So why aren't right. we using more music in class? Why are we removing the arts from the schools, right? So so those are, you know, you're, you're resonating with me um, around shifting that narrative around blaming the children for their not ability to, um, their inability to pick up some information that's been given to them and not being their responsibility. It's on the person and the onus who's trying to, to inform or educate or share knowledge with them. Right. And there's such a sense of shame around things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, shame about raising your hand if you do know the question, the answer. Shame about raising your hand, about not raising your hand. There's a lot of shame in pub- that goes on in public school yes. um, that, yes. that is kind of a, a social control method. And so that was another thing that we didn't want our children um, subjected to. 
Uh, you asked about the difficulties. Yeah, yeah, the difficulties. Um, Tell me the truth now. Can I do this or no? <laughs> um, okay, so some of the di- some of the internal difficulties were were learning about um, learning about ourselves. We always said that while we were homeschooling our children. Uh, the most high was homeschooling us. And I so like, I learned, yes. Ooh, I teaching. learned about, because, you know, I did not because sign up for school when I had a baby, but I did. <laughs> I, there's some mini me's in our house. And so uh, the same, the same stubbornness that's, mm. uh, you know, we, we have a, a say, we just, we just say apples and trees. Uh, when we, when we're talking about uh, <laughs> uh, characteristics that we see in our children that are definitely, you know, they didn't get it. And, and we can't say they got it from somewhere else. They grew up in here in this house. So you can't we know say they, they got, got that at from. school because it yeah. was you. <laughs> we can't we can't blame it on anybody else. They we, learned we that from their take... kids at school. Oh, that was their right. <laughs> <laughs> We have to take full responsibility for yeah. uh, uh, good and bad. Um, that was sometimes difficult because I am, for example, I'm good in algebra. I enjoy algebra, but just because I'm good in algebra doesn't necessarily mean that I can teach algebra. Uh, and so that was a, a, a challenging season. Uh, and so for in those instances, I had to seek out um, co-ops and other parents who uh, are, are able to not not only familiar with the subject, but have a method for teaching the subject that my children would respond to. Uh, and I, I was fortunate to find uh, the homeschool co-op that we uh, participated in had some great parents uh, for that. They There were some that they did not learn from. Uh, so we definitely had to learn that. Um, the other thing that was a challenge to us was inherent in being pioneers, in being uh, sometimes we were the only, sometimes mm-hmm. we were the first. That can be difficult. I didn't realize until uh, later how challenging that was for my children uh, to sometimes show up and be the only African-American in the room. I didn't realize that that was, uh, and I would tell them, you know, you know, be the, you know, I would, I would say, you know, look at Ruby Bridges, look at, you know, look at the Little Rock Nine, but, you know, you can be the first, you can be the pioneer. Uh, but when I was in uh, graduate school, I read a book called A Girl Stands at the Door, and it talked about a lot of the psychological issues that uh, many of the firsts w- uh, experienced, uh, particularly the Little Rock Nine, uh, particularly Ruby Bridges. And so I started recognizing some of these things in, in my children, but didn't realize at the time that that was difficult for them. And so once they got to college and they were better able to expand their horizons, um, I think that that definitely helped uh, with some of the, some of the issues that they had about being the only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll have to look up that book. What is the name of it again? A girl stands at the door. Thank you. Um, being in LA or well, technically being in California, California has a huge population of black people, but they're in clusters in certain pockets. And I'm currently in the suburbs and oftentimes my child is the only, um, right. or one of a few. It's a, you know, it's a little sprinkle. But, right. you know, I'm like, find them, go find them. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing I was curious about with homeschooling, because you mentioned about joining a co-op and I would love for you to kind of tease apart the different ways that you can make be a homeschool parent, because I'm literally like kid in my house and I got a little room 
set up with a little tiny desk and I'm basically, I'm just seeing myself create a room in my house that's like a school room. And that's not the only way. And that vision is probably flawed. So I would love for you to talk about, because I know there's ways to join online groups. You can you can have your child learn online. They could be a part of an online school or they could be a part of a co-op or, you know, so what are what are all the ways that you can be a homeschool parent that it doesn't necessarily feel like you're doing it all alone? Because I think that is one of the biggest fears. It's like, I can't do this on my own. You mentioned you knew algebra. I can imagine some parents on the listening being like, I don't know nothing about algebra. So right. like, what am I going to do when my kid is, you know, like I can probably get them the ABCs, the one, two, threes, the plus, the addition, subtraction, you know, the basics. And then I think there's going to be a point where parents might feel inadequate. And I think that's what white supremacy has especially done to black parents to make us feel like we're inadequate and that we don't know things. And the, all that shame and things that you talked about that that we've experienced going through public school. I imagine there's so many black parents who've gone through public school ourselves who have probably um, received some of that shame or felt like we weren't smart or felt like, you know, the way that we learned or the way that we thought was not, you know, up to par. We didn't get the best grades, you know, things like that. So if you're already feeling that about yourself, I imagine that that would also be a barrier to feeling like you have everything you need to teach your children. And so um, would love to hear, like, what are the ways that parents don't have to feel like they're doing it alone because there's these different forums that you can join yes so um of course uh, back when i started homeschooling in what 93 i homeschooled before the internet uh Ooh, so Lord, uh, trying to yeah trying to <laughs> you didn't have um, google <laughs> no 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 i had to actually write letters uh no oh, email you was, oh you were sending letters in the mail to people yeah. to send letters in the mail back to you that's when my yeah. son started making fun of me he'd be like ma you know you know back in your day he does that to me all the time back in your day when you had to hang your clothes on the clothing line because there were no dryers i'm like what are you talking about how old do you think I-? back in your day before cars Remember, you have to ride the horses. Wow, wow, wow. wow. You know what? I, he plays I me all the time. One time. He plays if, me. If, if everything was black and white when she was little, because I just thought, you know, you see black and white photos, <laughs> black and white TV. I just thought, like, life was black Wasn't and black white. Wasn't black and white. That yeah. is such, that's a good question. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, so, um, wow, you've been doing this for a while. Before yes. we was Googling everything. And you, know, you could just find Facebook groups of people who are doing, you know, it was, it, it was a little, it was a lot more harder for you. Right. Um, when Yahoo groups, well, I think even there were there was I can't remember some in the early days of the Internet, there was some forum. Uh, and then we then we got into Yahoo groups and then Yahoo groups became Facebook groups. And that is where uh, I have there are there are people that I have uh, that I connected with uh, years ago that I've never met in person. But we have formed a, a family there was a there's a a woman in Las Vegas, uh, Dr. Uh, Tony Robinson. She started a group called Focus in the late 1990s, maybe early 2000s. I have literally been friends with uh, we've we have supported one another and pretty much raised our children together through this. Uh, and I've met only I've only met like two or three of maybe out of a group of 10 to 15 women that we have just like raised our children together, but over the internet. Um, there is also uh, locally, I, I was here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I moved here in 1999 and it wasn't until 2005 
till I met another black homeschool family here in Austin. Wow. Uh, and it was kind of a, a fluke. There is a very large homeschool convention in uh, the Woodlands outside of Houston. And one year they wanted to experiment with having a luncheon for non-white homeschoolers. And there, I'm sure there was probably a lot of fear surrounding that, but they went ahead and did it. And then our local group decided to do the same thing. And uh, uh, since I had the most experience, someone called me and asked me if I would host a luncheon. And that's how I met the African-American homeschoolers of my generation. There are more now that are younger, but uh, the group that I raised my children with, that's how I, I met them, probably about, about five or six families. Um, we affectionately refer to each other as the school district. We are <laughs> we are the school district. Don't be uh, like the real school district, though. Right, you know, it's it, there. It's about like I said, it's about six, about six, seven families. Um, we didn't we don't live near each other. Austin is pretty like spread out. And so um, I may live like 45 minutes from one another. But we used to do field trips together. We would show up together. For field trips, we had uh, we had an orders club where our children would read uh, something out loud, poetry, uh, book report, something for them to work on their public speaking skills. When our children got to be teens, we pretty much spread out. We didn't always see each other as much because the majority of us were very much into our teens exploring their own gifts and talents. Mm-hmm. And so for one, uh, one in our group, her daughter has become a, a composer of, that does like film score. Hmm. Uh, and it started like when she was homeschooling as a teen. Uh, another one, uh, she has her, her own uh, podcast, but her ch- uh, they encouraged all of their children to be entrepreneurs. And so before they were any of them had graduated, they all had their own business. As a matter of fact, the Warp and Weft history logo was designed by one of her daughters. Wow, that's amazing. Because we absolutely, you know, support our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of us, I'm, I have been blessed to be a part of this group because we have really encouraged one another to excellence. Uh, even if our children were not all doing the same thing. There are, there are two families whose sons, uh, each each of our families, we only have one son. And so uh, each, so we kind of raised our sons like brothers. That's and good. so the three of them got their Eagle Scouts at the same time. Oh, nice. And we sat them down at that time. They were just getting ready to graduate high school. They had all just pretty much turned 18 or pretty much getting ready to. And we sat them down and we talked to them. We said, look, we have stacked the deck in your favor. You, your Eagle Scouts, you have done this, you have done that, you have done this. They all succeeded in some area. For, for our own son, he was uh, the cadet commander of the Civil Air Patrol. My husband is retired Air Force. My son wanted to go that path as well. So we tried to explain to them, and it, it, particularly their fathers, their fathers tried to explain to them that in this world, Sometimes a black man has to do twice as much to get half the recognition. And so for them, uh, homeschooling them together and uh, having them, putting them all, you know, in Boy Scouts and making sure they all have their eagle, that was, it, it, it was really what I teach in, in history. It was an act of resistance, yeah, uh, resistance to mediocrity. 
And so um, each and each and every family in that group. And so to answer to finally answer your question, <laughs> you have to find your your people. Yeah, there are say, there are some great like the, groups. The answer is it takes a village. It takes a it village. does. It and does. so to find them. I guess it sounds like, you know, back in the day, back in the day, now I sound like my son, back in your days, <laughs> but that it used to be, you know, um, you had to search a little harder, I guess, yes. to find people because it wasn't as easily accessible. So it sounds like the challenge that you experienced back then has been alleviated a bit because of social media and internet and technology that you can find people. And I know that people can find people. And so once you have your village, you you could do it like as a community. So that that feels like it resonates just with how we operate as a people in, you know, anyways, anyway. as a people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm really curious about this conversation. Um, I've done different podcast interviews with people about, you know, homeschooling alternatives to public school. Um, I'm particularly interested because, you know, when the pandemic began, um, many parents, all parents, if not many, were forced to stay home. Well, forced. We were, <laughs> we were forced to stay home, basically. Yeah, I was like, What's a nice way of saying it that we chose? We didn't choose. We were forced to stay home and our children were being schooled at home. Uh Um, And so we all became principals, teachers, um, the cafeteria lady, um, all the roles. We were all of them. And Uh we were also simultaneously some of us working. Right. And so exhausting. Um, And so, you know, we this is when everybody was like, kudos to teachers. We didn't realize what we was doing with sending y'all to our kids and 30 kids in the class to you. But may the Lord bless you for all of your hard work. How can we donate? Because we were like, we had no idea what y'all were doing or dealing with. Um, And also when we were doing it, we also had the privilege or, you know, the opportunity to witness our children's experience in the classroom. And so for me, I work from home. So I'm at home on my computer and my little corner and my kids at home on his computer and his little corner. But we mm-hmm. we can hear everything. I can hear everything. So it's like I'm in the class like a little fly on the wall mm-hmm. and I could witness and experience all of those things that we talked about, feeling the shame, um, the nervousness around raising his hand or being called on and not feeling ready or having the right answer. Um, I could also witness um, and learn the inaccuracies in the way that they teach history in particular. Right. And I know you're a history yes. expert. Like, yeah, I remember <laughs> so many times listening and being like, are you mute your microphone real quick? And then I would like literally take the lesson that they were doing, whether it be about, you know, Christopher Cumbulimbus came and found America. I'd be like, he ain't find nothing. Let me tell you what was here when he got here. And they're going to make it sound like the pilgrims and the and the Native Americans were besties. But let me tell you the truth. And so, like, I, re- I remember myself doing that so many times. Like, he'll be in a class or it could be math or something. And he's like, well, I don't under Like, I could tell by his face or the, his body language that he did not understand the way that that concept was taught. So here I am. Put your put your put your put your camera and everything on mute and then here I come being the teacher I'm like the teacher's aide right right Um, and so we witnessed this right and so then two years later you know the schools are opening back up and it's like well what do we do because we've witnessed some of the pain that our children are experiencing we witnessed some of the inaccuracies we witnessed some of the harm that these teachers are doing Um, I witnessed white supremacy at play and things around even like you know school discipline I witnessed that they're trying to discipline kids that are not even in their classrooms. Like this kid is at home in my house and you trying to tell him that he can't eat his lunch. He can't eat right. on this camera. He can't eat his breakfast and he got to turn his camera on. Like, wait, what? So it was a lot of like um, experiencing of that school push out already happening and it's happening virtually. Um, mm-hmm. And there were so many incidences where young people who were, 
you know, not doing their homework or not submitting things. Like there was a story of a, a young person named Grace who um, folks were advocating around because they put her, they took her from her family and put her like in a um, juvenile detention center because she wasn't submitting her homework online and she wasn't turning in her assignments. And she had already had, you know, issues before school went virtual. But right. it's also, it didn't take into consideration that these kids are struggling. It's hard. Yes. And like their whole life has changed. You know, like there was no acknowledgement of the young people's experience of this pandemic that was so traumatizing. Right. Um, and so because of that, right, me witnessing it, me being like these schools are hella lame sometimes or problematic. I really struggled with sending my kid back to school, right? And so as they're opening back up, there's been a lot of parents who've made the choice to not send their kids back to traditional school. Um, And data is showing that in 2020, homeschooling among Black families went from 3.3% in the spring to 16.1%. And so that's like a three times increase, a 500% increase in and it's more than any, you know, other groups also had increases, but this one was really, really high. Like black people were like, no, nah, we're not right. putting our kids through that. Yeah. <laughs> so I attribute it to that. But what do you also attribute it to? And for parents who are, you know, were thinking about it, because, you know, I'm on the fence. <laughs> well, OK, so <laughs> I did um, my uh, I guess you could say my work situation changed uh, depending on what my kids needs were. So for a good deal of time, uh, I see 14 years of the last 14 years of my homeschooling, I worked from home as a medical transcriptionist. So my children were in the room with me. Uh, they had their own desks and their own computers. Uh, the only, the difference is, but when they, when they participated in co-op, they actually left the house. They, I took them uh, somewhere, but uh, you know, I had, I had some, uh, I had to, uh, particular student last year where there was just so much fear put upon this child from the pandemic that to the extent that like they would not she she wouldn't go outside like Mm -hmm. I would ask I always start my classes by asking my students how their week went what did they do that was fun you know that sort of thing and she her her affect was just flat just nothing and I thought man this child needs some sunshine. She needs, you know, she needs some fresh air. She literally, um, and at the end of the school year, I thought it was wonderful uh, because she is back in school now. At the end of the school year, she wrote a poem that talked about how she allowed that fear to cut her off from everyone. Mm. Like friends, she didn't go do anything with friends. She uh, um, didn't even, you know, just, very little interaction. The only interaction she had was with like one adult and that was like her mom or something like that. Um, I feel like this generation is going to have a lot to recover from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And just trying to pretend like everything is back to normal. Well, let's just go put them in school and pretend like uh, the trauma of the past two years didn't happen. Uh, I I think that that's going to be problematic. We had um, we had four children, and our firstborn daughter died when she was thirteen from a brain tumor that we were only mm. aware of for seventy two hours. Oh wow! And so we had to learn how to help. The next child was twenty months younger than her. Our second daughter, twenty months younger than her, so she was eleven. She had never slept in a room 
that her older sister was not in mm-hmm. until that point. Um, they were a pair. We always talked about like we had two pairs. We had the older two and then we had the younger two. They were a pair. It was like like she had be almost like she had become widowed. Right. I no, could not her- continue as normal. I had to change some things. I had to change some things about her education. I couldn't say, okay, um, ask a question to the room, knowing good and well, she's the only one who's going to be able to answer a seventh grade science question. Whereas she used to compete with her sister Mm -hmm. in some things. So I had to change a lot of things academically. Uh, One for her socially um, she is of, of, of our four children. She's the most introverted. I had to get her some surrogate sisters, put her in Girl Scouts so she could have some girls her age. Um, whereas we were not involved in Girl Scouts before my older daughter uh, passed away. She was the first one to go to co-ops. And so I had to change some things. And I had to recognize that there were things that that she needed heal. I had to find a grief support group for children. I, you know, I, I had to do different things. And I feel like there are a lot of parents now who are just trying to like get back to normal and just like skip over the past two years when they really need to sit down and process. Yeah, totally. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think you're right in terms of like, we cannot ignore the trauma that our kids have experienced recently. And that needs to be a part of the curriculum, you know, like always they need to be at the, at their feelings, their emotions, their experiences, their lives need to be at the part of the center of the curriculum. Too often it focuses on what they can learn and it's very heady, but we forget about their hearts exactly. um, in our teaching. So that feels really important. And I know, you know, there's a lot more conversations right now around social emotional learning. And so I definitely think that that is the journey that we need to kind of like the first year back to school should have just been like no homework, no school. Let's right. just talk about right. how y'all feeling. How did y'all survive? What's going on? You know, so I, I think that's important. Um, and for parents out there who are who are like, OK, I don't have the capacity to ask them because I might break down because I have been still struggling and haven't dealt with my feelings. Right. You mentioned earlier that teaching our children Um, While we're teaching them, we're being taught as well. And so simultaneously, as we're trying to support our young people in processing the last two years and what it means to be in a pandemic, we also have to take the time to process that for ourselves as well. Um, The other thing that uh, we did is that we did not do. uh, She probably graduated high school maybe a year later than she might have, not because not because of academics, but for emotional healing. So she didn't actually start college until right when she was getting ready to turn 19 uh, rather than 18. And I think that was a good thing. I think that waiting helped her to to be prepared. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing these stories and connecting with us. Um, As we wrap up, I was curious if you wanted to share with folks a little bit about war and warp and what? That's a that's a that's a tongue twister. I don't know. <laughs> you I tell won't us tell what you called. what my kids call it because they tease me about it too. It is a nod to my ancestors. I am uh, descended from Cherokee freedmen, and my ancestors that crossed the Trail of Tears with the Cherokee, they brought with them their looms, and they were they were spinners and weavers. Um, and I did not learn that until later in life. I, I didn't learn it until I actually found uh, a slave narrative of my uh, great, great, great aunt. And so um, 
that is my approach to teaching history. I had the fortune of living outside of America for 12 years. And so I learned about a lot of different cultures and I bring that into. So when I'm teaching African-American history, I talk about Irish history. I talk about uh, Jewish history. I bring in similarities so that they can see that oppressed people groups have common characteristics. And so I weave those stories. I weave those narratives into my classes. Um, I started working with history during the pandemic uh, with my daughters, they were great, but they, you know, they've gone on to do other things. So uh, it's just me right now. Uh, but we're trying to work on getting some classes that are self-paced. But at the same time, I am a teacher. I want to interact with my students. So I want to meet them. I want to talk to them. And we are WarpenWestHistory.com. And we have a variety of different history classes. We have four different uh, world history classes. We have African-American history. We have middle school U.S. history as well as high school U.S. history. We are still developing some other classes. I have another class that I love to teach that I didn't offer this semester. It's the history of Black entrepreneurship, which is my favorite. Ooh. I absolutely love uh, discussing particularly the time period between the end of Reconstruction and the beginning of World War One, where uh, that's where you have Madam C.J. Walker and Robert Church and um, how these people lived in an adverse society and were still able to thrive. And I feel like the lessons that we learn from that are really important for our young people today to learn that no matter what difficulties you're facing, you can be, you know, when they have the, the picture of the, the flower coming in out of the the crack in the sidewalk. Oh, the rose from the concrete. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I use history as a way of teaching resilience mm -hmm. and teaching and as a way of encouragement. And um, some of my students are, uh, I've got a, a student who is a screenwriter and participates in film festivals. I have another student who is on his way to becoming a professional tennis player. So I have students who uh, have embraced this idea that school is more than just academics and that they can use their time to explore their, their gifts and talent. And I, I just love it. I, I love, love that. I love that. School should be more than just academics. I mean, it's technically that, you know, for students who go to school, you know, the social and all those other things. But it's it's less about memorizing and learning and regurgitating this data and actually trying to find what are the ways that you can tap into your God-given strengths and talents um, to actualize, you know, uh, it's about that. And I, I appreciate what you're sharing. And I just want to make sure that folks have the name of the website. Can you say it one more time? Warpandwefthistory.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and for connecting with us about homeschooling. I am still on the fence, y'all. Um, <laughs> it ain't even about me, right? It's also about the child. He doesn't necessarily right. enjoy the academic parts of school, but he likes the social parts. And so... That's the struggle. And I, I heard you say, like, you got to find your community, your village. And um, I never thought about trying to make teenage play dates. But it sounds like if we do go on this journey, we'd be having to find some folks to do some teenage play dates with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nichelle. It was great talking to you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. 
To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back with thinking, time for thinking.